Ladies and gentlemen, this is Dak Xavier Josiah, the host of ACMG Presents Talk Time Live, the podcast. You want to catch up with all of our podcast shows and hear from some of the hottest names in all of anime, comics, movies, and games, such as... This is Miley Flanagan, the voice of Naruto. This is Stephanie Shea, the voice of Sailor Moon. This is Ruben Langdon, voice of Ken Masters and Dante from Devil May Cry. Hey there, this is Kyle Abair, the voice of Ryu from Street Fighter V. This is Chris Battle, character designer of Teen Titans Go! Here's your chance to check out all of that and more on Talk Time Live. TalkTimeLive.com provides all of our ACMG content with new and previous episodes, exclusive interviews, articles, and much more. Visit TalkTimeLive.com and let us help you learn to let go, live life, and love all things ACMG. Talk Time Live! This is Miley Flanagan, the voice of Naruto, and you are listening to ACMG Presents Talk Time Live. Believe it! It's time for your Talk Time Live exclusive. You are now about to witness the strength of geek knowledge. Ladies and gentlemen, returning to the show is a guest who is starring in the much-anticipated spinoff to the Naruto series known as Baruto, Naruto Next Generations, which now airs on Toonami back-to-back with Naruto Shippuden. She is the voice of Baruto, and she is here to talk about the new series, and much more. Ladies and gentlemen, folks, I give you the one and only notorious ACM, Amanda <laughs> Celine Miller. How you doing, love? I'm good. How are you? Uh, not too bad. First of all, let me break it down. Um, we talked about this last time. What's the weather like right now in your area? Right now, it's, uh, I think it was in the 90s today in L.A., oh uh, and, and this is like end of October, and no. it's still like summer. Yeah, we got to do something. You, do you know what the weather is right now here it's 40 can we oh my gosh can we two extremes right can we just like come together merge these two and make a better paradise i would totally dig if i like i was just in new york the other week and i loved it like and Mm. and then i was in vancouver and i'm just like i love this like hipster weather where i get to wear my flannel and my hoodie and my jacket and layer i'm a layer up fan I'm, i'm telling you now i love the fall and spring so it's just like you get to have a little bit the best of the both and I always wonder because philly i i can't complain too much philly gets the medium of like everything and i feel bad sometimes because whenever there's a big hurricane or a disaster somewhere we kind of get the after results of it mm-hmm. which it feels actually good but at the same time it's like ah, i can't enjoy this too much there are people <laughs> you know going through some things people might be dead but i'm getting a really nice breeze right now yeah it's kind of like that so it's like i I can't like walk around like I'm, you know, Jimmy O'Toole or something like that. Happy as hell. <laughs> but thank you for coming back on. This is actually, ladies and gentlemen, this is actually take two <laughs> of this soiree that we're having right now because I had a bit of a technical difficulty. And the lovely Amanda Celine Miller has graciously come back on to talk about everything that we have going in. So uh, I do appreciate you. You're you're a rock hard badass for doing it. <laughs> <laughs> no problem. But I mean, you're just coming off a tour of um, your cons and everything. And what was the last tour? Was it, wasn't it Canada, I believe? Yeah, so I kind of did like a little bouncing around where I was in Edmonton, uh, which is Canada. And then uh, I was in New York for New York Comic Con. And then I was in Vancouver. So now I'm back here. And then I have another con. Uh, I'm at NecoCon in Virginia next month. And, and basically, because when I looked at you, when I looked at your uh, social media page and I seen that you were in, you're in. Canada like more than just one time this year, right? 
Yeah, I was in there. Uh, it was at least three. Yeah, yeah, because I had um, there's like a Sailor Moon convention in Toronto mm. earlier this year. Yeah, I almost felt like you were going in between becoming the spokesman for Tim Hortons or you becoming Kevin Smith. So oh my God. <laughs> Kevin Smith would be awesome. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> also, with the Tim Hortons thing, it's so funny because if you want to piss off a Canadian, call donut holes donut holes. <laughs> Because they're like, they're disgusted by it. Like, they're like, ew, what's a donut hole? It's called a Timbit. I'm like, what's a Timbit? It's a donut hole. And they get so, like, weirded out by it. In Philly, we do have that same similar debate where it's based on tomato sauce on a on a pizza. It's like, if you're from South Philly, it's gravy. If, it, if you're from everywhere else, it's tomato sauce and whatever. And it it's interesting. <laughs> what do you, what do you, what do you call this, this stuff, like, for Thanksgiving? I don't. Amanda, don't get me talking. <laughs> they just, just don't do it. They're like, no, we use the tomato sauce on a turkey, too. Like, we just do it everywhere. Consider this a warning whenever you venture down to Philly for maybe a kind of parents or whatever. Just don't go down to the Ninth Street uh, Market where Rocky ran because you will be running if you mention the word tomato <laughs> sauce down there. You will actually have to go to the Art Museum steps in order to beat everybody at this point. <laughs> so, all right, let's talk Barato because, you know, last time we – actually got on the show and you were with me with molly um you guys were together for the first time ever talking about the movie mm-hmm. um i knew i didn't need a crystal ball to predict the obvious it was to me it was obvious that you know you did such a great job on the movie that i, I would be really surprised and i know you said you guys said that you know you never know and there's no guarantees i didn't know if there was a, a non-disclosed agreement maybe um <laughs> that you had to go by and say that and play, you know, kayfabe on it. But um, I I absolutely just knew that. I'm like, no, you're too good. <laughs> so well, Thank you. But no, it was not some sort of NDA thing. It really is kind of just like you never know. You right. know, they're, things change. They might decide to go in a different direction or, you know, people move. Like it kind of just really depends. So you, you, you enjoy what you have while you have it. Yeah. And then one day when you don't have it, you're like, well, I'm glad I enjoyed that thing. Absolutely. Well, it was mine. But now you are officially the voice of Barato in your own show now, and which is now airing on Saturday evenings. Thank goodness. Thank you, Toonami, because I couldn't do the stoner time <laughs> <laughs> of two o'clock, where, which they had in, in, uh, in East Coast. They had that at like one or two in the morning, where it's like if you go to California, it's like total. It's like three it's hours. A reasonable hour, right? It's a reasonable hour. And I remember when I went to uh, San Diego Comic Con, and I'm like, well, look at that. <laughs> yeah, it's like eleven or something. <laughs> exactly. So I, I really like that one time enjoy. Now I feel like I get the California experience, <laughs> West Coast experience now, but. Uh, how excited were you when you got the news that you were going to reprise the role and, you know, do the entire series this time? I mean, I was pretty excited. Like, I mean, to be fair, I figured unless I heard otherwise, I was probably going to do the series. But there was such a big gap between we did the movie. We did the video games first. So we right. did the first two games and then we did the movie. And then there was like a year or two year gap where we like didn't know anything. So there was a moment where we're like, are we doing the show? What's <laughs> happening? So, uh, yeah. But I mean, definitely. And added to that, you, you know, it's funny. Um, I got into an interview. I was at a press interview uh, at a con in, our, in Philly, which hopefully it was done by Repop. So hopefully that'll somehow get you over to our side and our neck of the woods for the first time. Um, but we got a chance to, t- I got a chance to talk to Kevin Conroy in a press uh, interview 
and he was saying for and I guess this is probably more geared for American animation that you know it was a one day deal and you don't know where it's going from there is it the same case when it comes to anime that it was a one day deal like when he when he went in when he first went in to do the first episode the pilot episode of Batman mm-hmm. that that was they were on contract for one day and you didn't know where that was going from there, whether they were going to like you, whether it was going to be good. Was it the same? Is it kind of the same experience on that note as uh, for anime? Uh, yeah, I mean, well, I think animation is a little different because animation do- or anime doesn't have pilots. Anime, by the time it gets to the States, it's already like, you know, it's already has whatever, 13, 26 or whatever episodes. So when it I comes figured. to us it's going to series. Whereas for animation, like I did a Disney pilot a couple years ago and it goes through so many phases of like development where, so he's right. You kind of go in, you do your one day of work and you're just like, well, that was fun. And then you don't really bank on it because the show might not get picked up or it Mm -hmm. might get picked up, but they might replace you with a celebrity because that's really popular right now. Uh, Or uh, they might, pick it up with you but it might not go to that network or they might completely change your character to a 12 year old dude or whatever you know like it just kind of depends so yeah animation's much more because they focus test the crap out of everything especially yeah. for kid shows because right. they have to focus test the pilot like the storyboard storyboarded animatics against like Groups of boys, groups of girls, do they both like it? Uh, is it, you know, do psychologists see any problems with it? Um, there's just, there's so many different steps. So yeah, there's, most pilots never see the light of day after they're recorded. So you kind of just go in, enjoy it, and uh, forget about it. Right. Um, for those who have not seen the Japanese version of uh, Baruto, can you give us, a, uh, give us an idea of what to expect from this series? So Boruto basically, um, there, so the movie came out first and the movie takes place kind of like halfway, more than halfway through the series of Boruto. So mm-hmm. Boruto, when you start it, it's kind of, I guess, like a, a sequel to Naruto Shippuden, but it's a prequel to the Boruto movie, if that makes sense. Right. And then, uh, about, I think, was it like episode 60 something or like in the sixties or seventies, the series finally catches up with the timeline of the movie and they actually revisit that. Um, they revisit that story and apparently it's really epic because it like takes multiple episodes. So they have more time and they really delve into side plots that they didn't get to go into in the movie and they reanimated a lot of it. And apparently the animation's gorgeous. So we haven't gotten that far yet, but, um, but yeah, it picks up with your favorite characters, you know, like, but just as adults. So <laughs> And then it's going to further take us to an area that we had no idea was going to happen to. I, that I, I, I do know. Yeah. <laughs> in the opening, in the opening scene, I won't give any spoilers away, but in the opening scene, a lot's gone down. And then of course <laughs> they don't explain any of it. They're just like, Hey, this is a glimpse of the future. Right. And then they just kind of cut to like, okay, but for now we're just going to have fun. And then eventually we'll get to all the doom and gloom. Right. So, but that's the part I love about no, just, not just anime itself, but this series in particular, because, and the Baruto series or the Naruto series for that matter, how it how it contrasts from all the other animes to me is that it has a does have a serious tone to, to me, in some cases matches to a primetime American live action TV show. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's some issues sometimes and there's some moments in time that it's really deep and really emotional and they really mastered that emotion there. So I am so looking forward to what your character is going to be doing 
in this series, especially from what we already saw from the movie, the, um, the movie that we saw and such. And uh, it's good. It, I got a feeling it's going to be really awesome going on. There's already some great, you know, um, replies from the uh, from fans already on this. Yeah, it's definitely the the responses are kind of split because some people kind of feel like they they look at Boruto like how dare you you ingrate because they grew up with Naruto. You know, Naruto's <laughs> the I always say Naruto's like the Harry Potter of the anime world. Because it really is. It ran so long that people grew up with this character, and you know, like Harry Potter, they were both orphans, so you mm-hmm. kind of, you felt protective of this character, and you saw them overcome the odds, and, and you know, he became Hokage and all these things, and then um. I hope that's not a spoiler. I'm like, I don't know where people are in the streets. Whatever. Sorry. But anyway, uh, you know, he achieves his dreams. And then Boruto, he was raised with the benefit of having both parents, you know, and he had a pretty well-to-do upbringing because of his dad's job. But he's not happy because, you know, yeah, he has those material things, but he doesn't have the emotional support because he doesn't have his dad. Like his dad is never home. His dad always prioritizes work over his family going so far as to send like a shadow clone to his daughter's birthday instead of showing up himself. Yeah, I did. That was it. I, you know, what's funny with that scene. You kind of understood what was going on and you, it's hard because people judge too quickly, but before they really totally and don't use critical thinking about the situations that they see and just mm. not just in the, in this, in the series in life. But if you followed Naruto throughout his entire lifespan of the series, you kind of understand where this is going, and now that he finally has achieved it, he now understands the responsibilities that is coming too. But you know, Barto as a kid, you got to look at it from a different perspective, you know. But it's 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 a double edged sword of trying to have empathy for Naruto and sympathy for Barto at this point. Yeah, that, that, I think that's I think the the empathy for Barto will come because. Yeah. Uh, because ultimately, also, I think the scene in the movie that gives away Boruto's actual, like, feelings on his dad mm-hmm. are the scene where Naruto comes in and he, like, congratulates his son on doing a good job with the tuning exams. Right. And, uh, and Boruto's just like, okay, cool. Like, you could have, you know, whatever. And then the moment his dad, like, leaves the room, he, like, squeals and, like, kind of does, like, this, like, little happy dance and, like, starts <laughs> to tear up. Because he's so excited that he got his dad's approval and that right. his dad saw him and noticed him. So that... Even though he acts like a complete butt to his dad, uh, which I have, careful, I have to be careful because I called him a butthole once at Comic Con, <laughs> yeah. and for some reason I got in trouble because I'm like butthole. That's like a PG word, but like everybody in my cast looked at me like I had just said like the worst word in the world. <laughs> and I was like, "What? There's no, there's, there's nothing wrong with the word butthole." And everybody's like, "Stop saying butthole." <laughs> so anyway, but um, it's also funny because Miley apparently. Uh, the engineer the other day was telling me, she's like, yeah, Miley, uh, really, she's like, why is Boruto such a little brat? Uh, because she, the only scenes that Miley has with Boruto are the ones where I'm like, whatever, dad, like, you're so, oh, I hate you, stupid old man. Like, so it's just like, she doesn't get to see any of like the, the scenes where he's like saving his friends or where right. he's cheering up. Like, she just sees this like snotty little kid. So it's just kind of funny. As long as there's no animosity when you guys actually meet up. <laughs> I don't know. I love Miley. She loves me. It's just, it's just funny because she's like, Jesus, this is this kid, right? And speaking of which, she's actually tweeting right now. That's great. Right. <laughs> God bless her. <laughs> but okay. um, going on to that, um, what exactly have you learned about the character since you portrayed it? Have you, I mean, just aside from the fact of his 
you know, situations with the father or whatever. Have you understood him, you know, empathetically along the way? Yeah, I mean, well, because I also kind of had a dad who, like, was, you know, he loved me, I loved him, but he worked a lot, and mm. there's always, that he worked a lot for, like, he would travel a lot for business, like, so I definitely empathize with that element of, like, I just want you to notice me and love me, and, you know, um, that makes him sound bad. He wasn't a bad dad, he just was very busy. <laughs> right, exactly. Uh, you know, and, and also I moved around a lot as a kid and now it's kind of cool cause I was an air force kid. And so, but at the time I hated it. I had a lot of resentment towards my parents and I was that moody little middle schooler who's like, I wish I just, you know, I want to hang out with my friends, but you guys moved me away and blah, blah, blah. So like, yeah. I very much relate to the middle school angst and I get it. Like it seems overblown to an adult when you have like a rational perspective, but when you're a kid, your whole world is just your family and your friends. Yeah, I I know I've actually been through that before myself and it's hard. It's hard and then you, it's one of those things you'll never understand until you get older. Which, exactly. Which I do I think and I think the, t the type of fans that will be drawn more to this show are the people who do experience that type of situation or have, you know, growing up. So it does happen. <laughs> so Yeah. Uh it, it's just just a way of life unfortunately sometimes. But First of all, I mean, I should have congratulated you in the first place, but this is your first major lead role in an anime. And, you know, my question to you for that is, do you feel that uh, now that you're the main character of your own series, that there's a certain sense of responsibility that comes with it? Oh, yeah, definitely. Like, it's kind of a... It can be overwhelming because uh, my my next biggest character to this was Sailor Jupiter in Sailor Moon Crystal and the Redub, right. and like, that was still one of the like uh, one of the main five characters. But there, she wasn't the title character, so there was definitely scrutiny because there was a pre existing dub from when we were all kids. So you know we were competing against people's nostalgia, but it still wasn't completely. I didn't have to shoulder it all. You know we kind of split it evenly among us. But for this, it really is like. My character's the name of the show, and it follows a show that ran for like 15 years. Right. So people grew up with it. We're also kind of fighting nostalgia a little bit because people are like, "Why this show's replacing Naruto, even though I'm pretty sure Naruto would have come to an end before <laughs> it came out or not. Like, right. So Boruto's just like a nice little uh, icing on the cake. Like, here you go. Here's some more. Well, um, it's funny. Those are the same people who used to watch Tiny Toons back in the day, too. And I always said that like this – when I watched the series for what I for what I did watch, because I did stop watching it, uh, the sub the uh, the Japanese version, just when I knew that you guys were going to come up with it, so I was like, nope, I'm waiting, <laughs> I'm waiting for you guys, and I'll go watch a dub because you know we talked about this before, but I'm like, no, nah, I can't, nice. I, I can't do sub and multitask at the same time. It's just unheard of. So, but if I have to, I will. If there, yeah. But I had a hunch that you guys were going to go uh full, you know, English dub with this. So I just waited out and thank God I'm, I was right. But it, it just reminds me of like tiny tune adventures in a sense that like, these are the next generation, like it's called, like it's titled and you're pretty much the buster bunny of this show pretty much. So it's hard. It's, it amazes me that people would like want to complain about that, but they'll, the minute you talk about tiny tunes, I'm like, Oh, I love that show. But, um, <laughs> you know, moving on to that question though, um, you have you are a minority in a starring role, which, you know, I don't know how rare that is. And you do have a rich and beautiful multicultural background history. And um, 
pretty much from what you say, 35% of you is going to, is going to be in, in, in the cookout period. So, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, did you feel, you know, getting into the business and the industry that you, uh, had more or less challenges to earn opportunities because of that? Um, it's yes and no. So basically like for the people who don't know, I am, I have like a multicultural, multinational kind of background because my mom uh, is from France. Mm -hmm. And so I have a French and Swiss citizenship through her. And then I have American citizenship through my dad. So like I was born in Germany because he was an Air Force guy. So like that kind of like the international element. And then my dad is from Louisiana. So we're part black, part Native American, part white. And then obviously my mom's like French and white and all that. So I was both helped and hurt by that. I think, I think I came to Hollywood at a good time because they were, they were getting over the idea that American only looks one way, you know? So they were kind of starting to be like, Ooh, what about this? Like ethnically ambiguous category, which is the category I fall into. Um, and they kind of, it was appealing to them because they were like, okay, we can appeal to multiple demographics. Oh, this is for like on camera stuff, right. but they were, you know, we can appeal to multiple demographics without really being specific as to who that demographic is. Cause it's like, she could be Egyptian, like middle Eastern. She could be Italian. She could be Latina. Like, you know, so that was helpful for a little bit. Like I had a little bit of success with commercials. Um, cause that was where it was most popular, but I could not for the life of me get on camera, hmm. like, uh, for, um, like theatrical, like TV and film. Right. Uh, you know, I did student films and stuff, but it was really hard to get an agent. And part of that, you know, it's just that it's hard to get an agent, period, regardless of what your color. And actually, a lot of my white friends say they have a just as hard or even harder a time because agencies don't need – they don't need them. They're like, we already have a million blonde hair, blue-eyed white girls. Right. We need a couple more diverse – you know, we need a couple more Asians. We need a couple more whatever because right. we already have, like, that category. So – um but part of it also is there's body type issues when it comes to like different ethnicities and stuff. And I definitely have a little bit more of a brown girl body type. So mm-hmm. that has hindered me a little bit in on camera world because a lot of these women are very – they're like size two or size zero, you know, and I am definitely not. Right. So uh, I think hopefully that will start to change soon that like, you know, you can have more curvy bodies. You can have all types of bodies and all ethnicities. Beauty is appreciated. But anyway. Agreed. That's rambling. <laughs> But no, that tra- that actually segues to the other question. I mean, in your opinion, at from the time that you started until now, um, do you feel that the landscape of the industry has increased in the years, or does it still have a lot of work to do in, oh, yeah. in your particular industry? I think it definitely has changed, in, especially like in the past. Like I don't know, like once once people started being like, "Hey, no, we're not gonna we're not gonna keep being quiet about there not being representation." Like I think in like the last like five, mm, more recently, like the past two years, especially. Mm-hmm suddenly people are like, oh, I guess we should try harder to make sure that our country is represented in our media. So you're starting to see more shows that represent other kinds of families. And you you would never have seen like a fresh off the boat or a blackish like 10 years ago. Let alone a modern family. Right. You know, exactly. And so it's like we're, we're making a lot of really cool strides. And uh, even in voiceover, we're in a weird phase where they're actually being really ethnically specific. Right. So it used to be like, oh yeah, if you were ethnically ambiguous, ambiguous, you could play, you could play whatever you looked like, which was great. Mm-hmm. Now it's kind of weird because I'm getting pigeonholed in the sense of, well, I can't play Middle Eastern even though I look Middle Eastern. I can't play Latina even though I look it because 
they're like, well, we want it to be, are you actually no, that You want thin? to be direct source now. Right. So yeah. that's, so yeah. I feel like it's kind of overcorrected a little bit because it's like, they, they, they basically want like an ancestry test now. Like I, I <laughs> friend Robbie Damon, Robbie Damon is part, is part Native American. And he said he had Robbie to send Damon, it. Uh, he's uh, Peter Parker from um, Spider-Man, right? Yeah. He's yeah. Peter Parker. He's also Mitsuki on Boruto, right. um, Tuxedo Mask and Sailor Moon. Like he, <laughs> for a certain voiceover role. So it wasn't even on camera. It was voiceover. He sent his ancestry test to prove that he was qualified for that role. That's unbelievable. So I do think I think it's getting a little too uh, far the other way, but hopefully it'll qu- kind of course correct. But it is kind of nice because it requires casting people to think outside the box. So, right. for example, most of the, you know, women in animation right now, like in original animation, not necessarily in anime, tend to be white. Mm-hmm. Not not that there's anything wrong with that. It's just that that's just kind of how it, the cookie crumbled. Mm-hmm. Um and they're great. And really, in animation, if that person still sounds great, they're going to keep using them. So Jennifer Hale and these people, Tara Strong, these people who've been doing it since I was a kid. Right. If it's a Game of Thrones, it's like you got to wait till one of them like you know quits the industry or dies before somebody else can like have a spot right. because they're just so good. And well, great Delisle over- too, um, or Great oh, Griffin. Yeah, yeah. yeah, she's she's you know I've had a chance the opportunity to meet her and uh, hang with her and yeah I. Really had no idea how established and how long she's been in the game, but wow. Yeah, and the thing, the cool thing about voiceover, it also means that like your looks don't dictate what parts you play. Right. So they can keep playing it as long as they sound young enough or whatever. Mm. So, but then it means it's harder for people like me and just other new voice actors to get in because if there's no vacancies, why would they ever look for you? So I did have my big break in animation kind of came when, you know, for something for Disney where they were looking for to kind of be a little bit more ethnic specific. And they wanted a person of color to play this certain character. Mm -hmm. Um, And so they couldn't listen to the grays and the Terras and all that. So they had to broaden their search and they finally listened to the auditions that we were sending in you know, the ones who they didn't know. And that's how they can, they discovered a lot of new talent that way. Um, so now, you know, now they start, now that they know me, I am getting called in for the same stuff that they're getting called in for. Probably still not going to book it because they know them way better, but it's still just nice to that. Like, okay, the fact that they had to try and be more inclusive meant that people got a chance. Right. Who might not have been heard. Now we talked about this before too. Um, I, I like to talk to, I like always to talk to my guests about hardships, you know, mm-hmm. because I need our listeners to be educated and I need them to understand that it's just not you watching a TV show or a movie and just thinking, I'm going to do that next week. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Can you talk about maybe were there, or in other words, let me rephrase that. Were there any times that you didn't think at this, any of this was going to happen? Yeah. I mean, like I said, that, that, that thing where they finally, you know, heard me, that only happened like within the past like two years. Right. And I've been doing this for about eight. So there was yeah. a long time where it just kind of felt like, like I was working multiple jobs. Uh, I was working at a hockey rink. I was being, I was like a scorekeeper, but I was also babysitting and I was doing transcribing, which was really funny because FYI, when you buy an iPhone and there's like that screen that's like, oh, you know, like it's the contract where it says all the things are allowed to do. Right. Basically, you're signing your rights away because my job when I was transcribing was to like listen to people's conversations, not like live ones, but like basically any sort of voice to text things it would record and then we would like improve upon it. So basically we were teaching the system how to listen. So 
I heard all sorts of people's voice to text and stuff like that. And it was crazy. <laughs> but so, like, some of it was just like, find the nearest Chili's in Albuquerque. But then other ones were like, you know, I can't believe you would break up with me. You're such a, you're like, you're like, and, it, and then other ones were like, really like, like people were uh, sexting on voice to text. Oh, that no. was interesting. So anyway, that was one of my many jobs. I used to work on a horse farm. Like I've had a lot of different uh, things, but I, I never doubted that I would make it eventually, but mm-hmm. there were definitely times where I'm like, maybe I'm never going to be able to make a living off of this or, or maybe I'm not as good as I think I am, or right. maybe I'll just never, I'll never be like a big character. I'll always just be like the supporting background mm-hmm. player. And I guess that's fine. You know, like, so, I mean, the other thing too, what I love about your experience is that it grounded you one and it made you well-rounded on a whole nother case. Like, you have a broader perspective than a lot of people running around the world right now that just has this one dimensional mindset about things. And yeah, yeah, that's, it, it, that's a, that's a, that's a treasure. <laughs> it's, it's one of those things where on one hand I would resent it when I was going through it. Cause I'm like, man, I wish I had a rich parent who could have just paid my rent mm-hmm. when I moved to LA. So I could have just focused on my acting or I wish that I had a parent in the industry who could have just given me roles. Like, you know, like I, I resented the fact that so many people around me had that and they just, it just seemed so easy, but I realized, yeah, okay, it was easy. But for me, it built character. Like I now know what it's like to struggle, you know, and to Absolutely. like not know if you're going to be able to pay rent and to, you know, and to not have parents who can just bankroll you, you know? So I had to, everything I have now, I can be like, wow, I built that. You know, I have that sense of pride that it wasn't handed to me. And, um, yeah. Like, so I, I, as much as I'm like, man, I wish I had rich parents. I kind of don't because it made me appreciative of what I have now because I actually had to earn it and wait for it. You know, it's, it's, um, thank you so much for saying that because those are the most treasured words you could ever hear when uh, talking about situations like this. I, I I come across a bunch of people who think it may be easy doing what you're doing or even to some extent what I'm doing. And it, I have this saying, it's like you you got to, you know, you can't lay claim to the fame or the name without the gain. Mm-hmm. And I, I, that came to me because I've had experiences where people thought that they could work along doing things that I was doing production wise or whatever, like that, you know, putting things together, even this podcast to some extent, and think that they didn't have to hustle, thinking they did, all they had to do was just a minor thing to get to get uh, gain a lot. And I'm like, no, no, you're going to have to learn how to grind. You, it, you'll get the benefits of everything when it comes. And in some cases, you shouldn't stress the outcome of the benefits you just just experience alone and the passion for it is what matters exactly because that's the only thing that's going to drive you through when you can't see the horizon because for most of an actor's career like 99% of the time even when you're like a celebrity 99% of the time your answers are going to be no like when you audition Correct. only one person can get that part mm-hmm. so even like uh in um was it Moulin Rouge I think it was like you know, Nicole Kidman got the part, but Renee Zellweger auditioned, like a bunch of other right. celebrities auditioned, and they, you know, like, even at that level, you're still going to get a no more often than you're going to get a yes just because of math. You know, you can't all get it. So if you're doing it to get famous or to get rich, you're going to be disappointed most of the time because you're not, it's not going to be easy and it's not going to come to you. But if you do it because you're like, I love this and I cannot see myself doing anything else that would make me this happy in spite of all the crap this industry has, that's when you know you should do it. Cause yeah, at cons, 
I would say like 70% of the people who come up to our tables at conventions are like, yeah, I want to be a voice actor. Like, I think it'd be fun. I think it'd be easy. And I'm just like, oh man, like it's not just like a hobby. It's not just something you can just like roll into and just expect stuff to come to you. Like people don't realize all the stuff you're doing behind the scenes, all the classes you're taking, all the connections you're making and all the, like I freaking hired a dialect coach so that I could have an edge on other people. You who invested. Might not- yeah. Like I'm like, you know what? Because it's like, it's like on Amazon. I describe, I describe like acting like this. You have to give them a reason to choose you over anybody else. So like with agencies, like I said, okay, they already have a lot of uh, white girls or like for women, there's always, it's always harder to get an agent as a woman in voiceover just because there's not as many roles for women. Right. So, and there's more female actors than there are are male actors. So there's just more competition. So you have to be like, okay, I get it. You have a lot of women, but how about a woman who speaks French or how about a woman who also can, you know, do an Egyptian dialect or, you know, like, like I like taught myself a bunch of dialects. I really trained so that anytime a video game audition came in and they're like, we need slight Egyptian or we need slight Irish or whatever. Like I could just be like, yep, yep, yep. And I could beat out all those other people who hadn't done the prep work, who hadn't invested as much. Um, so like that's, that's what it takes. It takes that kind of not ruthlessness cause you're not ruthless towards other people, right. but a ruthless attacking of like your own career and treating it like it's a, a business, you know, on Amazon, which it, 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 it is it, it honestly is it's not even any little of it it is exactly that it literally yeah you are self-employed like and and you got independent contractors like like if somebody's ordering something and two things cost the same amount but one item on amazon says oh it can do this and it can scratch your back and right. it can do like you're gonna go with the item that has more functionality for the same price so it's like be that item that can do more and just give people more of an incentive to choose you. Right. Two things that I took from from what you just said too. One, your yourself, Stephanie Shea, Molly Flanagan, um, and uh, Danielle Kennedy, all who's been on the show on this show, mm-hmm. are hustlers mm-hmm. to it like to the to the capital H. And I'm saying that because even if you're not doing what like the most known thing that you guys are known for, you guys are still doing other things like you, Molly and Danielle also do theater and Mm -hmm. do stage just for the sake of it. That's how much you guys love it. You may not get anything for it. You may not get it like as much for it sometime, but you're doing it for the craft. You're doing it for the passion. That's real. That's real art. It's uh, and you know, not everybody's that way. Like some people are just like, I just want to do voiceover. Which is fine. Which is fine. But I do think it does help there. There, It gives you an edge. It gives you it keeps your skills sharp because theater flexes different muscles than voiceover. And even anime flexes different muscles than like video games. Like mm-hmm. just trying to do it all just makes you more well-rounded and also keeps you on your toes. You never get too uh, apathetic or complacent because, uh, you know, like I, if I do a lot of voiceover and haven't done theater for a while, and then I go back to doing theater, it takes me like a wh- a little while for my voice to come back because voiceover, you're not projecting as much from your diaphragm because the mic is right there. You don't want to blow out the mic. So everything right. kind of becomes a little bit more intimate sounding and a little bit more quiet. But then on stage, you have to be able to just belt that stuff. And so it's just funny to see like 
my body being like, oh, we forgot how to do this and like having to relearn things continuously. And it's good for your brain. Absolutely. Especially me that I used to work for the Alzheimer's Association. I know everything about being cognitive as possible. So yeah, keep, keep that thing active. You know, like it's hopefully your brain will last you your whole life, except for some people. It seems like it never showed up but Unfortunately. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> such is um, our generation but i mean but it it definitely shows i mean when you we talked about this when we when you play when i was just watching the first few episodes of uh the new series you know you you assimilate to that character so easily it just feels so natural just hearing it matching with the adr process as well that you guys have worked on and i also watched your good things commercials too and it just sounds so natural like you just it's like you mastered your craft so well to the point you could tell when you really thoroughly listen to how you do your voiceovers. Um, do you feel now comfortable that you, I feel like you've, you're gain, you're rather at the level of getting to master level with your voice acting and your craft or getting there, but do you feel comfortable doing them as they sound or do you feel still the need to prep? Uh, I mean, unfortunately in voiceover, you really don't get a chance to prep in the sense of like, you never get scripts ahead of time right. and you, sometimes you don't even know what you're doing until you get into the booth. So obviously for like Boruto, I know when I'm doing a Boruto session, but like, you know, I'm not getting scripts ahead of time. I can't really do any practice. Uh-huh. Um, but that's kind of what the training is for. Like the years, the years of training is like two, that's your practice. Like that's kind of where you learn to, to go like, Oh, okay. Like, well, if I, you know, I, for whatever reason, can't sound like a little girl. Right. But like some actors, like Cassandra Morris, she's like, I think she's older than me, but she still sounds like a little kid, just naturally. Like that is her thing. Whereas for me, I guess I've always had more of a tomboyish voice. So I kind of learned like, okay, I guess like my voice lends itself more to tomboys or to little boys or to, yeah, like little boys. And that sounds weird. Uh, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't, I don't, I don't say any, I don't go anywhere near them. I'm from, right. well, we digress. Uh, <laughs> uh, anyway, I, yeah, it's, it, but you kind of learn your type after a while. Right. Cause I think, I think that's the other thing in this industry is the sooner you can figure out what you're best at, mm-hmm. the less you'll flounder because then, you know, you can be like, okay, yeah, I might not sound like a young soccer mom, but I can sound like my thing is like the, the, the best friend who like knows what they're talking about and it's still kind of, it's kind of cool, but not threatening. So it's right. like, you know, Hey, good things. Like, Hey, I got these crackers for you, but it's okay. Like it's, it's not, that's a very specific type, but it's one of those where if you need that, I am on a list of like five people that people, that, that casting people go to, cause they know that about me. It's great for that. Right. But then if they need the child, the, the person who sounds authentically like a little girl or the person who sounds like, I don't know, a grandmother, they're not going to go to me. Mm-hmm. So that that I think is one of the most crucial things you can do in voiceover on camera or whatever is just knowing like what your essence is and really just leaning into that and embracing it and yeah it's branding typing whatever you want to call it but that's right. that's crucial. I have I always believe in the term iron sharpens iron, especially when it comes to you know the world of the arts. Is there anyone who that you work with in the studios or on stage even that you uh, learn from the most? Uh. I always really love um, group group records. So for anime, we don't really record with other people. Video games, a lot of times we're also by ourselves. But for animation, sometimes you do get to do a session with the other actors. And I did a session for Puss in Boots once for Netflix where I got to be in a session with John, Dima- like John DiMaggio, Gray Griffin, 
Eric Bauza and a couple other people. And I remember just being floored and inspired because like when you talk about mastery, like these are people who have been doing it even longer than I have. Like I feel pretty confident, but they're like, it's just like they're effortlessly brilliant. And it was so inspiring because the other thing that was inspiring was not just that they were how brilliant they were, but also, and this is going to sound terrible. Also how often they messed up. Right. Because, I'm such a perfectionist that I beat myself up in the booth. And if I mess up a line or I'm, I'm like, ah, oh, sorry, 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 you know, and, or I get frustrated that I didn't get it perfect every time. Mm-hmm. And then seeing them do it, they were just like, they'd, they'd botch a line, they'd laugh about it and then they'd move on. Like they just, like they, they didn't take it to heart. And I, it made me realize even they mess up. So if they mess up, I need to give myself some grace and just have fun with it and stop trying to be perfect because nobody, literally nobody can be perfect. Um, I tell huge. myself that a lot too. <laughs> but we, we 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 still we tell ourselves like we know in theory that nobody's perfect, but we're still like, but I'm gonna try, you know, I'm gonna try my darndest. Like if you mess up, if you mess up clearly, like it's it's a heartbreak. <laughs> like it's it's like oh my gosh, I'm probably the worst person in the world. And I should probably just quit because you're, other people are perfect at it. You're you're squinching down in the corner. There's this dark room, and all it is is a spotlight on you. That's what it. <laughs> Yeah, the, the whole world is pointing at you like, ha ha, what a loser. <laughs> and to be fair, there are always those people who do that. I get people like that all the time on Twitter who are like, oh, we, I hate you. You're the worst. But it's like, oh, they okay. don't count. <laughs> yeah, it's just like, you know, I, that was the biggest thing for me was getting over. I'm still not completely over it, but like I'm getting better at not being such a people pleaser because I used to want so much validation and so much love from people that I was like, I'll just do whatever you want me to do. Like I'll, I'll appease you. And then I started doing my own writing and started doing my own stuff. And it drives me nuts when I see videos that I've posted on, on YouTube or something. And there's like, there might be uh, 99% likes, but then there's, there's that one person who's like, dislike. Never and I, fails. Will, I will just, you know, or, or like a comment that's like, you suck. And I will of course hang on that comment and just be like, what could I have done? What could like, <laughs> Like making like one of those like beautiful mind or like um like a conspiracy chart like right. hitting stuff to it at two a.m. like maybe if I had done if I had done this or or then they would have liked me. That I've learned that they will never be pleased. You will never be able to please people like that. And so half of the time they're just trolling intentionally to do it, knowing if you knew their background, it probably has no merit at all. <laughs> Yeah, well, and also it's kind of just like it's funny because I started learning like, oh, because I used to think that other people's opinions were objective reality and mine couldn't be trusted. Mm-hmm. But now I'm like, wait a second. So this person thinks I sound too much like a little girl and this person thinks I sound too deep. Obviously, can't be both. So maybe that's just their opinion. You know, like I'm like learning that like, oh, well, if I like it, then that should be my objective opinion or like the objective truth right. for me. I guess that's not objective. If you're like <laughs> – the truth for me is literally that's subjective. Whatever. Anyway, like you kind of just have to roll with it. You'd be surprised at how much of a humanized situation that is. I guess this is probably the way I can say it. Uh, it, it. It happens to the best of us. And we all have to re- learn that reality sooner or later. So eventually you do. It starts to get so repetitive after a while. It's just like, all right, now I get to now I get what's going on. And all right, I'm moving on. <laughs> yeah, like because you spend so much time, I think, especially when you're younger as an artist, you're like, Oh, like, oh, I hope they like me. I hope they like me. And just and just like, beating yourself up. And after a while, you realize I'm spending so much time devoted to people who don't even give a crap about me. And they just tweet something and they move on about their day. Mm-hmm. That I'm not spending my time focusing on my art and bettering me. Like, so then you kind of eventually you, you just get over it, especially yeah. 
I love watching the mean tweet videos that have like celebs read mean tweets. <laughs> right. it, it makes me realize again, you will never get to a level where everybody will like you. Even right. if you're Chris freaking Pratt, who seems to be like the most, most likable person. <laughs> I'm sure there are people out there who are like, you're stupid. I hate your face. It, and also you what know? I learned about that too, from a, I guess from a psychological perspective is that there's always a, ulterior motive to why people are doing the malicious stuff that they do online yeah you know people hurting people try to hurt other people and a lot of times it's because you know they they don't like themselves or whatever or they genuinely just might not like you but the fact that people i think there's a difference between people who like don't like somebody like there's a certain actress that for some reason i cannot stand and i'm aware that there's no reason for it i'm just like i don't want to see i don't want to see you and stuff (laughs) But I would never tell her that. So I think there is a difference between, like, I have an opinion and somebody who's like, and I need you to know my opinion. With everything that's going on in our society right now, social media gives people a way to displace their anger and frustration on everybody. And the higher the the hierarchy, the better in this case. Yeah, like, and that's, that's the other thing is I had somebody tweet something stupid at me once. And I retweeted it with a comment, like a kind of like a, a, a funny comeback thing. And, uh... <laughs> And the person was like baffled by the fact that I had responded. And they even said like when people were like, dude, why would you say that? He's like, I don't know. I didn't think she was going to respond. <laughs> weird element where people think that like if you're in the public eye, you're not a person. Until you, see, you- until you show your face. Right. And so it's just kind of funny that like some people just are just, they're just like, screaming into the void. They're just in pain. Yeah. I I, uh, I just saw an episode of um, what was it? Uh, Big Bang Theory where Neil deGrasse Tyson was having a Twitter battle with uh, Raj and all of a sudden, he called Raj, and Raj was scared as hell. <laughs> and, and you know, because now they're not tweeting, and he's not hiding behind the proverbial bushes of Twitter or whatever like that. Now he's talking <laughs> to him like verbally, like a and, person. Yeah, and he's hearing his that that iconic voice of his at this point. And once he got off the phone, the whole entire dispute was wrapped right there. And that then, is so true. And then shortly after, he called. Um, Bill Nye and Bill Nye wasn't even trying to hear him. He hung up immediately because <laughs> Neil deGrasse Tyson guy, real gangster on everybody to call these people up. So, but it's true. That's exactly, it was, that was the premise of it. And that's exactly what happens. I think that's the nice thing too, though, is that at the end of the day, people might act like monsters online, but a lot of times if you actually like talk to them as people, you kind of can find a common ground. Yeah. Um, so hope, it gives me hope that people aren't just like we're that we're not just going towards an age where everybody's just like this pre-apocalyptic rage. mindset. Yeah, like we're because it does feel a little bit like Mad Max out there sometimes. <laughs> it's getting like, there. Anyway, it's just yeah, but that's 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 one thing to look forward to if you uh, want to be an actor or a voice actor is like the more you are out there, the more people. People will see you, which can be a good thing right. if you like being seen. It can also mean you're subjected to more craziness so that's i guess what we were talking about the downside earlier that's one of the downsides right but you've overcome all of that and since then you not only have successfully have now doing these shows playing star in these roles you're also taking on different hats now you're um, taking on other opportunities and ventures as well um can you talk about that a bit yeah so i uh within the past couple years i got into writing like i've always enjoyed writing but I started writing like my own web series and I have this like you know it's on YouTube it's called Ghosts and Stuff Inc mm-hmm. and it's basically like Parks and Rec meets like Scooby-Doo um and it's really fun like it kind of I think it helped with the frustration of acting sometimes because with acting you're always saying somebody else's words and 
it's always up to somebody else whether you get chosen and you're like, I just want to act. So sometimes creating your own project just gives you that that agency, that sense of like, yeah, you know what? I don't have to wait till somebody decides to choose me. I get to choose myself. I get to write the role that's perfect for me and create the world. Um, so that's, I've been addicted to writing since. So I have a bunch of ideas for like pilots and stuff. And I write, um, ADR scripts for different like anime and stuff like that. So like there's a really brilliant show called last man. It's not an anime. It's like a French animation, but it is one of the cool, it's like Rocky meets supernatural meets. It's just incredible. And it's on, I believe it's on VRV right now, but I wrote like the English, the English script for that. Uh, there's a movie that I can't quite say, but it's like MFKZ, I think is the, which you like, yeah, Stephanie Shea has been like, you know, promoting that immensely on Twitter and it looks awesome. Yeah. I love the, I love the whole, um, the hip hop graffiti art style that that is, that they presented in there. And it looks, it looks very interesting. It looks like it also is not for kids. It's definitely (laughs) not for kids. It's even, even when I saw it at the theater, the adults were very often going, oh, oh, because it's just very graphic. It's gritty, so, yeah. Yeah, but it was – they also were laughing a lot. So it's – yeah, it's like a com- combination because it was like animated in Japan, created by a French guy who lives in L.A. and loves L.A. culture. So it's like it's set in like a neo-California, like new Los Angeles. Like it's – so it's got the like three different cultures mixed in. Um but there's, you know, there's that. So I'm, I'm writing a lot. And also I'm trying to, I was never able to get the on-camera thing going very much in LA. Cause mm-hmm. like I said, it's just really comp- competitive. The doors are kind of closed, but I kind of have been shifting my sights to Atlanta. Yeah. Wakanda uh, junior. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> because like Marvel has a 10 year contract with Pinewood studios. So they're going to be shooting all their movies out there until 2026, like walking deads out there, stranger things, Ozark, like, the most random stuff. My friend Cress is—he's uh, on Black Lightning. He is Black Lightning, he and is, like exactly, that's awesome. Like, so there's just so much happening out there, and so the cost of living is better. And I yeah. just I'm like, you know what? I'm gonna try my hand out there and see. You know, change, shake it up. I've been I in LA what, for about eight years. I definitely want to see you on an episode of Black Lightning. I that I I'm telling you, uh, once I get once I maybe I drop a little bit of weight because you know the CW is like. <laughs> Pretty, pretty people. Like, it's the people who are like, oh, my gosh. My friend uh, one time asked his agent. He's like, and this is not Crest. This is my other friend. Right. He was like, uh, hey, can I? Like, can, can you submit me for more CW stuff? And he's like, buddy, you're hot, but you're not CW hot. Wow. <laughs> the f- ironic thing is that friend is now a lead character on a CW show filming in Toronto right now. Interesting so. and awesome at the same time. <laughs> yeah, so it's like, you know, obviously, obviously he is CW hot or, you know, or things change. But either I way, that, I love that you say that, too, because I I immensely watch virtually all of their comic book based shows, even Riverdale. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like their version of a Michael Bay movie. Yeah, I've been to a Michael Bay um, filming and and because he filmed here. He, uh, unfortunately, he filmed the second Transformers movie in Philly. Oh, I didn't <laughs> and, know that. Yeah, and yeah, because there's a part, there's a scene in there that's supposed to be Princeton, New Jersey, and in fact, it's University of Penn, <laughs> which is their rivals, believe it or not, I believe. <laughs> I thought that was hilarious, but um, he decided to film here, and there was some, I, forgive me, Philly, you're, you're my home, I love you, but there were some uncharacteristically looking people in, in this scene, and I was like, no, nah, you ain't from here. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> one of these things is not like the other type of scenarios right there. Oh, you mean like they, like they look too like L.A.? They of, look or... extremely L.A. Oh, my gosh. L.A. is ridiculous. It's the hottest people from everybody's town in one place. <laughs> yeah, it really got it like just migration. <laughs> it really yeah, it's the prettiest people, the thinnest people like you will never feel ugly, uglier than it, when you live in L.A. What so. is the, uh, forgive me. What is the Bible verse? I guess when you everybody dies and they, you know, the good goes up to heaven. Oh, oh, the rapture. The rapture. Yes, yes. I'm thinking like, why did I not? think about that and i was just watching uh, american dad and it was an episode based on that but yeah it's kind of like the living version of the rapture where it's like once you get to that certain level and you still look like kelly from um saved by the bell you just end up in, in um in, in california it's yep. so true <laughs> that's why i'm like oh that's also another reason why i'm like you know what i'm excited to go to a town where not everybody's an actor or a model or a dancer like i'm excited to go to a town where people are also trying to be musicians or bankers or architects like i'm kind of excited about having a little bit more of a balance like a work-life balance and have more diversity in my friendships right um yeah so but, but yeah if i if i can get down like maybe a couple clothing sizes and i can be cw hot then maybe i could be like a black lightning villain like that's my new goal now i'll be like Cress, hey hey Look, Let me on your show. If you ask me, I think you're ready to go. So thank you. <laughs> <laughs> With my blue hair, I could totally be like some sort of like electric exactly. shock thing. I mean, or, or even be on a flash and just like be somewhere from another Earth or whatever. <laughs> I would totally be down to because I was just in Vancouver and I remember thinking like, man, I would not mind booking a show and having to film it in Vancouver. This is a gorgeous city. So mm -hmm. yeah, Flash. Arrow, Riverdale, all that stuff films in Vancouver. Nothing films in LA anymore, basically. Like. Half hour comedies do, but everything else basically is <laughs> shooting wherever it's cheaper because they get money back if they shoot in other places. And you know, after after Atlanta, I think other cities have started to notice that too. So now they're starting to, you know, jump on a bandwagon a bit. But so Which far, but so far Georgia is it's nothing stopping them. <laughs> yeah, Georgia's a like it's popping, and I'm I'm excited though. I'm excited to see opportunities and jobs popping up in other cities because then that means you don't have to move to LA if you want to pursue a film career you know you could you, you know if you're in the south you can be like you can if you're in Alabama you could just go to Georgia like I like that you can if you're when I go to conventions and I'm in Canada I don't have to tell people oh move to LA if you want to be a voice actor I can be like hey my little pony is recorded up here like a lot of stuff's recorded up here go to Vancouver go to Toronto like I like that we don't have like a monopoly on the entertainment industry anymore right so thank you so very much for being on the show. I got two more questions, but thank you. You are a blessing. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> so uh, I've had a great time and uh, definitely is I, you've given myself and our listeners some great things and, and perspectives to uh, go on and in, in your and pursuing your dreams pretty much. But um, just two more questions and then we can uh, definitely talk about, you know, plug everything that you got going on right now as well. But one of the things I wanted to talk about was Dark and Dicey, which is another venture that you go into, which involves a lot of talented guests like yourself, uh, you know, a lot of guests of people's favorite fandoms, if you will, to play a villainous version of Dungeons and Dragons. Now, myself, I am an unfortunate person because my first experience sucked. <laughs> <laughs> and I, you know, almost took me away from the experience of playing Dungeons and Dragons. From your experience, what is the best way to get somebody to get into D and D? Uh, I think 
it's definitely, it's always good to play with friends, especially theater major friends or improv friends, because it's basically just group, like collective storytelling. So if you have people who are able to suspend their, their disbelief or really good at voices or, or getting into character and just committing and going for it and having fun, like those are the best people. Cause then it, Dungeons and Dragons feels to me like the way it felt when you were a kid and you and you got to go with your friends, and you're like, oh my gosh, and then the monster came, and you're like, oh no, everybody run. Like, you're basically just, like, creating a world together and playing together, but just as adults. Right. With more math. Oh, God. Let's not even talk about the damn uh, dice. Yeah. More, more, like, a million die. Like, there's, like, a six-sided die and a 20-sided die, and, like, you're just like, ah. But then also, it is it is also very helpful to have an experienced DM, like Dungeon Master, because they can kind of help you figure out, like, what to do. Like, they're the ones who can kind of guide you and be like, okay, yeah. Like, you'll be playing the game, and you'll be in character, and then suddenly you can be like, hey, so wait, if I roll this attack, does that mean I can do this? And then they can be like, yeah, 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 yeah. I think that was one of the things that was um, problematic with my experience was that the Dungeon Master wasn't the type of Dungeon Master that was able to teach and, and 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 you know get people adjusted to that experience yeah I th- and that's why i really enjoy working with kg because kg tang is an incredible dm uh, i hear matt mercer's a great dm he's the um dm on um critical role and like they just have this like because they're also actors so they have a great sense of imagination and storytelling but they're also really patient with us they're willing to explain stuff um they're very fair because the dm is kind of a little bit like god like they get to decide sometimes who lives or dies. Right. Um, so uh, yeah, it's definitely nice to have a, a DM who's fair, but also but also who doesn't let you get away with stuff. Like so, you've had I've had moments where I've seen my my friends' characters die because mm. they didn't roll high enough, and they're like, "Sorry," you know. So <laughs> I don't know. it's it's fun. Some ways, some ways, the DM is a director. Exactly, the DM is kind of they're they're, they're orchestrating the whole story. You, you're you're all like it's like they're a producer like you're all writers or you're all you know you're all writing the thing but the producer kind of gets the ultimate say right. i guess right <laughs> so my final question is this is probably pretty much an important one i would ask if you had one lesson to, or something to tell somebody who wanted to rather pursue acting or whatever what would be the one thing, the one valuable thing that you would uh, be able to tell them? Um, I mean, I feel like we've covered a lot of it today where it's like, you know, not giving up, having that persistence, also learning how to um, make yourself undeniable and um, not interchangeable, you know, like really finding what sets you apart. But also, I would say now balance, because some people, especially in an industry town like L.A., mm-hmm. There's everybody's so much about the hustle that yeah. a lot of people lose themselves because they're just like so focused on like, OK, I got to go to my acting class and then I go to my waitressing job and then I go to, you know, uh, an audition and then I go to this and I got to get new headshots and everything becomes about the pursuit of this career. And a lot of times you lose the fun. Yeah. But also you, you, you lose stuff that makes you human like they don't travel. They don't they don't take time for themselves because they're worried about missing an audition. A lot of people won't, you know, a lot of women won't have kids because they're like, I need to get financially stable enough in my acting career before I can have kids because I can't take nine months off. 
Right. Because for guys, you know, you can have a kid and your wife's the one who's like, you know, whose um, body's changing. But if you're a fe- if you're a woman, a lot of times those nine months, you aren't going to audition much because right. you're pregnant and nobody wants to hire you. And then you're kind of probably going to be out of it for a year or two at, while the kid's, you know, at home. So it's a big commitment. And I just feel like don't lose yourself and and your other goals in the pursuit of your acting goal because it'll actually make you a better actor if you're well-rounded and you take time for yourself to do other hobbies and to travel and to do the, do the things that feed you and don't just try to be like what do casting people want what does the industry want like how can i you know like yeah yeah does that make sense no oh, well said no i couldn't I couldn't have said it better so amanda thank you so much you've been awesome and it's great to have you back, and I do hope I can have you back in the future with anything that's going on. I wish you the absolute best. Right now, can you please take the helm and let us know where what you're going to do, what you're up to next, and as well as where we can follow you? Sure. Yeah, I have uh, I have some cool stuff coming out soon. I have a Marvel Rising is a new animated show. Wait, and, you're going to uh, be a part of it? Yeah. I, well, I mean, it's just in like I think it's in like one episode. I play uh, the character Sheath. So I'm going to be in the upcoming episode with Ghost Spider called Chasing Ghosts. And I'm basically her nemesis that she's trying to hunt down. So um, that's going to be really cool. I have some cool stuff that I can't quite talk about yet. But maybe in a year I might be able to uh, finally divulge. Um, That's still good. Still good in your realm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) It's like cool stuff like Disney and DreamWorks kind of stuff. So I'm like excited. And then obviously Atlanta. That's an exciting new development. Uh, I'll be at NecoCon in Virginia, November 2nd through 4th. And, um, yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Amanda underscore Celine. So C E L I N E, uh, on Instagram at Amanda Celine Miller on Tumblr at Amanda Celine Miller dot Tumblr dot com, um, YouTube at Amanda Celine Miller comedy, because they wouldn't let me use my own name. They're like, you have to add something anyway. Um, Facebook at Amanda Celine Miller, like you basically just Google it and you can find me. Um, and yeah, I uh, look forward to cyber meeting you all unless you're jerks. And then my Instagram or my, my Twitter handle is at Miley Flanagan <laughs> uh, direct all comments to her. <laughs> and you know what? Handle it. Here, I, was, that was, I was just about to say that. I'm like, you know, what? I thought about that at first. I'm like, you know what? That's the best idea ever. <laughs> oh yeah, mine does not suffer fools. So please no, come at not. see what happens. <laughs> and if you really get pissy, she'll get Wanda Sykes on you too. So. Oh my gosh, yeah, you do. It'll they'll double team you. It'll be. Uh... <laughs> and then and then tweet and then you can tweet me because I want to see I want to see the whole thread. Like I want to watch with my add, popcorn. Add a hashtag with it so you could connect to what he's here. Exactly. <laughs> hashtag uh, dumbass. <laughs> Exactly. Wait, they're they're hashtagging their own thing. They're like, oh no, I'm I'm the dumbass. Exactly. That's there's the cliffhanger. There's the uh the plot right there. <laughs> so well, Amanda, thank you so very much. Uh, I do one. I want to see you in Philly, hopefully sometime in the near future. Two, I wouldn't mind seeing your stand up. So. Well, thank you. Yeah, I'm I'm wanted to start doing more of that. Like, uh, hopefully in Atlanta, I can start to kind of do a little bit of uh, just comedy clubs and just kind of hone my voice and see where it goes. Well, definitely congratulations on everything that you've been doing and keep up the great work. And I look forward to seeing what you got going on next. Yeah. Maybe next time we chat, I'll have a Southern accent or something. I'll be like, hi, I'm from, I'm from Atlanta. 
<laughs> you will assimilate right in. That's how I know that you're comfortable. <laughs> I'm a, I'm a black lightning and I'm um I'm I'm CW hot now. It's all fine. Somehow I managed to not gain ten million pounds from all the delicious southern food. Yeah, good luck with that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like as I said it, I'm like, yeah, no, I'm gonna I'm gonna just keep getting more pump. <laughs> <laughs> well, ladies and gentlemen, I hope you enjoyed this very special episode of Talk Time Live exclusive with myself and the lovely Amanda Celine Miller. On behalf of myself and Barto herself, all I got to say is learn to let go, live life, and love all things anime, comics, movies, and games. This is ACMG Presents Talk Time Live. We are out of here. Take care and tune in to the show every Saturday evening on Toonami. Take care. This episode of ACMG Presents Talk Time Live is brought to you by Viewfinders Identity Search and Design, your choice for multimedia development for your brand. Visit VFISAD.com and find out how we can make your vision your reality.